everyone. Welcome. This is Robin Sills from St. Mary's Hospital, Trinity Health of New England. Thank you for joining us tonight for another show of Medically Speaking. I hope everyone's doing well out there. We finally are getting a little bit of snow coming our way. I had to actually look for my brush for my car. Um, before I left the house, my husband said, do you have your brush in the car to brush it off? So, But I have Johnny here, so I'm hoping that Johnny, I hoping that Johnny brushes my car for me. I have my own little... My own little car. Yeah, so you could take care of me, Johnny. So again, thank you so much for joining us. We are still in um, um, Heart Month, which um, is the uh, awareness month for February. And our last show, um, we um, spoke to our clinical professional, um, Dr. Kazi, and he talked a lot about um, what he can do with TAVERS and some really great procedures with Trinity Health of New England. And I'm really excited to bring forth another specialist within cardiology that is part of Trinity Health of New England, Dr. William Janfredo. He's an electrophysiologist with Trinity Health of New England Medical Group in the Department of Cardiology. Hi, Doc. Hi, how are you, Robin? Good, but I hear your voice is a little bit off. That's okay. Yeah, this happened within the last hour, so, you know, not <laughs> enough time to give you a heads up, but here we are. That's okay. It, it sounds good, but you give me the high sign when you need to stop, and, and we will definitely do that. We'll get in as much okay. as we can for as long as your voice lasts. We appreciate you joining us tonight. No problem. My pleasure. So, you know, I want to talk a little bit about you and where you came from. So you completed a fellowship in clinical cardiac electrophysiology at Tufts Medical Center in Boston. You completed cardiovascular disease fellowship and internal medicine residency um, at Tufts also. Um, And you also were a hospitalist at Lawrence Memorial. Yep, during fellowship, yes. Wow. And I bet you that being a hospitalist gave you a lot of, you know, I'm going to call it boots on the ground insight um, as to what happens to a patient um, day in and day out in a hospital setting. Yeah, uh, you know, the training at Tufts uh, in internal medicine gives me a lot of insight as to the general course of patients who come in for general medical problems who need general medical care. Right. Um, and that was a really great foundation for springboarding into cardiology afterward. So t- let's talk a little bit about electrophysiology and what that is and why you have kind of went down that path. Um, well, cardiac electrophysiology is a subspecialty of cardiology. It's a fascinating field where we deal directly with um, cardiac rhythm disorders, so arrhythmias, dangerous fast heart rhythms of the heart, dangerous slow heart rhythms of the heart, (laughs) Um, and it requires an extra two years of specialization, and we are basically specialists who help to manage those types of arrhythmias, either with medications or with intravascular procedures. So we'll break it down a little bit. But one of the things you and I had talked about when we met prior to the show, just to to talk about our content tonight was, and I think this is important for the audience to know, but truly the pathway of how a patient actually gets to you. So you're... You're definitely referred. A patient was referred to you through a cardio through a car- cardiology colleague um, to you for this specific type of um, follow up and testing. Correct? That's that's correct. Usually, a patient will come in. They'll have an evaluation by their primary care doctor, 
rarely they'll present to the ED within arrhythmia, the emergency department. Right. Um, usually they're referred to a general cardiologist who does an assessment, and then they refer the patient to me if they determine that the patient has a heart rhythm disorder that needs further intervention. So let's talk about arrhythmia. So, you know, if you look up what an arrhythmia is, it's basically the condition of the heart where the heart beats with an irregular or abnormal rhythm. Am I correct in that? Correct. Yep. The heart functions to deliver blood and the blood carries oxygen to every cell in the body. And the heart runs like a lot of our daily, the daily types of things that we interact with in life, it runs on electricity. Hmm. Electricity is absolutely crucial for the function of the heart itself. And it has to be in a certain way, typically, right. normal rhythm between 60 and 100 beats per minute. And it's usually regular. Once the electrical circuits in the heart start to become disrupted and you have abnormally slow rhythms, abnormally fast rhythms, or irregular rhythms, it impairs the heart's ability to deliver blood to all the cells in the body and it starts to affect patient's function and starts to make you feel pretty crummy and in some situations could be life-threatening. So let's stay, let's stay on that because I think within arrhythmias there's times when most times you you're not a hundred percent acutely aware that this is happening in your body right so sometimes it may be diagnosed just based on a, a normal visit with your primary care physician it could be diagnosed when you go to a cardiologist because maybe you see a cardiologist yearly based on family history how what are some of the signs and symptoms for patients that would trigger them to know that potentially this is an arrhythmia or something's not going right with the beat of their heart. Yeah, usually, you know, patients know when they're having an abnormal heart rhythm. Mm. Um, sometimes they'll have symptoms that they don't know are related to the heart rhythm, mm. um, but usually patients can tell if something's wrong. For a while, what's that? No, go ahead. Go ahead, Doc. I didn't want to interrupt you. Take your time. Take breaths. Take sips of water. <laughs> You're doing good. Every once in a while, a patient will present to their uh, primary care physician's office or to their general cardiologist's office, and they will be in an arrhythmia and have no idea that they were in that arrhythmia. Right. Um, it's usually the exception rather than the rule, but it does happen, and we do see it from time to time. Sometimes patients um, will have other symptoms that prompt them to go to the doctor, like usually nonspecific symptoms, right. extreme, extreme fatigue, for example, mm. um, just feeling a little bit of short, shortness of breath mm. when they try to exert themselves. Sometimes they find that they're just unable to complete the activities that they normally do or that can... Uh, participate in the level of exercise and exertion that they usually would do without fatigue or shortness of breath, and they find themselves not able to do that. Sometimes they'll feel the heart beating irregularly, or they'll feel palpitations, um, and uh, sometimes, you know, they'll feel a little bit of lightheadedness, chest pain, and then in, you know, some unfortunate circumstances, they may pass out um, and have loss of consciousness, loss of consciousness. 
And that's that's usually the most concerning signs, but all of these other subtle symptoms can um, be because of an arrhythmia, but they, they're not able to quite pinpoint it. And if that happens, you know, they should obviously seek medical care and their primary care doctor will likely do an EKG um, and try to establish um, a, a correlation between those symptoms and an abnormal rhythm. So will an EKG pick it up? It depends. Some yeah. of these rhythms are very tricky to huh. diagnose and they come and go with time. A lot of them are, are what we call some, you know, some arrhythmias are persistent. They happen all the time and some are paroxysmal. They come and they go as they please. Right. Some of them have obvious triggers and some of them are, are completely random. Um, so it, it, it really depends. Usually if the patient is in an arrhythmia at the time that they're uh, presenting to the doctor's office and you're able to get an EKG and capture the arrhythmia yeah, on the gotcha. 12 EKG, then, then yes, we have it. Um, other times, you know, we have our ways of, of trying to track these down. Yeah. Um, one of the ways is uh, ambulatory monitoring. We have monitors that you can stick to, uh, the patient can have stuck to their chest like a sticker, um, and it monitors the heart rhythm over the course of 24 hours all the way out to 30 days. Hmm. Now, what causes arrhythmias? Is there, you know, what, what in, in physiology, what, what, what causes them to happen? Uh, it's a it's, very challenging question huh. because there's not one answer. Hmm. It's usually lots of different things that can make patients prone to having arrhythmias. If you think about the way that the heart operates on electricity, usually that electricity starts in the top right chamber of the heart from a special node in the heart that is the intrinsic pacemaker. <laughs> this sends out an electrical signal, usually on a regular basis, and that signal, that electricity travels smoothly throughout all the cells of the heart down to a checkpoint in the middle of the heart and then down specialized nerve cells that act like wires to the bottom chambers of the heart. It happens in a very organized, smooth fashion, just like if you were to walk into your, uh, into your house and right. you flip on the light switch, that electricity will travel down the wires to the light, the light bulb turns on, same exact thing in the heart. The electricity travels smoothly across the heart, down the wires to the heart cells, and then they, they pump. They essentially turn on right. by squeezing. The cells need to be, the cells in the heart need to be close to each other. They need to communicate with each other. They need to pass information. They need to be organized and they need to function in unison in order for a patient to have a nice, smooth operating electrical system of the heart. Anything that disrupts the organization of these cells and anything that gets in the way of having them communicate with one another will cause an arrhythmia. Usually those things are, um, are, have to do with chronic conditions, other medical conditions that disrupt the architecture of the heart. So for example, if you have high blood pressure, increased pressures in the heart can stretch the cells out, stretch the chambers of the heart. And now all of a sudden the cells are not close to each other anymore and they can't communicate as well, and they need to shout 
from across, you know, a larger space wow. in order to send information. And that translates into other areas of the heart sending extra electrical signals that don't come from the intrinsic pacemaker of the heart. Um, if somebody has diabetes and it destroys the, the architecture of the mm-hmm. heart, usually other conditions like sleep apnea um, or respiratory conditions cause increases in pressures and low levels of oxygen in the heart, coronary artery disease, um, other toxins like smoking mm-hmm. or alcohol mm-hmm. can, um, can disrupt this architecture. And when that happens, the cells sometimes, if there's damage, um, for example, if you cut yourself on your arm, uh, what, what would happen to that area that was cut? Well, first it would bleed a little bit, but then after that, what happens? It, a scar develops. Right. Same exact thing happens inside the body. If the cells get damaged in some way, scars start to develop in, in the layers between them. And instead of them freely able, being able to pass electrical information and electrical signals, there's walls that are built up around them of scar tissue. They can't easily pass that tissue. So the electricity has to go around in all sorts of different ways. And other cells have to send electrical signals louder and louder. And then you get disrupted electrical activity and arrhythmias, which essentially are, you know, abnormal signals. So you're doing really good, even with half a voice. So kudos. Thank you, Doc. You're hanging in. You're doing amazing. Um, So I'll give you a little brief moment here. So I'll ask a couple of questions and let you take take a pause. Um, When a patient comes to you and you're diagnosing the arrhythmia, at what point and how? So two questions. At what point do we treat the arrhythmia? And you mentioned it could be medications or it could be interventional procedures. And at what and what procedures do we do to treat that patient? Well, it depends on the arrhythmia. Right. And okay. mostly, you know, I truly believe in the way that I was trained and the way that me and, and my, my partners um, operate um, when we approach a clinical situation is we always first listen to the patient and we, we try to figure out whether the patient is um, seeking care because these arrhythmias are causing symptoms that interfere with their life. Right. And I'll, you know, and I tell patients that, and you know, I, I have a conversation with them a lot of times that a lot of these arrhythmias that we do see are not necessarily life threatening, hmm. but they can disrupt life in such a way that it makes it very annoying to deal with. Right. Um, you know, you may you may not be able to take the trip that you wanted to go on. You may be afraid to be in certain social situations. You may um, be so symptomatic from a fast heartbeat that you that you feel like you're going to pass out. Mm-hmm. And patients who have minimal symptoms, if the arrhythmia, if the underlying arrhythmia is not life threatening, it's a little bit more on the benign side. And we can usually try to manage that with medications. We have medications to help slow the heart rates. We have medications to help organize the heart rates. Right. Um, or just some reassurance to tell the patient that, you know, it seems like your arrhythmia comes and goes. It doesn't really bother you. It doesn't last for a very long time. It's not one of the ones that's life-threatening. And then you, you'll be, you can be okay. Let me know when your symptoms get to the point where, they become, you know, interfering with your life and distressing. 
on the other hand, you know, in some cases, the arrhythmias can lead to more dangerous things like atrial fibrillation, for mm -hmm. example. Atrial fibrillation can, is like an electrical storm in the top chambers of the heart. And the top chambers of the heart don't really beat at all. They just sort of fibrillate. They just kind of shake. The bottom chambers of the heart beat irregularly irregular, so in a disorganized way. And sometimes it beats irregularly slow and sometimes fast. If it beats fast, then that can lead to a cardiomyopathy because the heart is a muscle. And if you ask a muscle to beat really fast, to move fast, it can tire out. Just like if I, I asked you to pick up a heavy object and, and over and over and over again, eventually your, your arm muscles will tire out and you won't be able to lift it anymore. The same thing happens with the heart. So one of the risks of atrial fibrillation is um, a potential cardiomyopathy, heart failure, and um, also because the top chambers aren't moving well, the blood collects around in all the nooks and crannies of the heart and develops clots. Right. You could be patients can be predisposed to stroke. So we would offer in that case special uh, medications to help organize the rhythm, help control the rate, as well as um, blood thinning medication to reduce the risk of stroke. Usually in atrial fibrillation, if you perform an ablation procedure, and we're finding more with more and more studies that earlier intervention tends to be a little better before these arrhythmias become persistent, the ablation procedure can help isolate triggers of atrial fibrillation in the heart um, kind of in the early stages before the horses are out of the barn yeah. and can help to keep patients in normal rhythm uh, for a longer period of time. And we certainly offer that type of ablation procedure. Other arrhythmias are, you know, ablation procedures can be curative. And in those situations, we'd be more willing or more, you know, uh, more readily offer an ablation procedure. And we offer ablations for basically any arrhythmia if it's indicated. Right. And then comes the types of rhythms that lead to, um, that can be dangerous, you know, regardless of, of symptoms, even though if they're, if they're dangerous, usually the patient is symptomatic. Um, slow rhythms usually require a pacemaker, which mm -hmm. we um, certainly do. Uh, fast, dangerous, fast heart rhythms sometimes require a defibrillator, which we implant, um, or uh, an ablation for that as well, which we do do also. Wow. There's so much technology out there now, so much that we can do. And the pacemakers yep. and defibrillators that you would have seen 10 or 15 years ago are much different than what we see now, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the pacemaker technology is uh, advancing by leaps and bounds. Uh, you know, and I, I really have to give give credit to the biomedical engineers and the electrical engineers out there and the and people who actually spend their lives developing this technology because you know uh, when pacemakers were first developed they were as, as you know big as uh, they fit on a table and the patient had to basically push the table around with a yeah. big machine on it that was connected to their heart yeah. nowadays we make them as small as a pill and wow. it can be inserted intravascularly just right into the myocardium of the heart that's um, amazing and can, can pace the patient and those types of pacemakers actually can last for up to 14 years wow. uh, battery life. I was just going to ask you that because, you know, long ago in my early years in my nursing career, they were much different and you saw a big box on the outside of the chest 
for a lot of these patients. And um, but these, so these are implanted, and the batteries do wear out. So the patient will start having symptoms again when you know you need to replace it. Well, usually patients are monitored now with technology. Oh. They have a either a cell phone or a transmitter that they take home. They keep by the bedside. <laughs> it operates on data. Um, it doesn't operate on on the internet so if right. your internet goes out it'll still work um <laughs> and it, it readily transmits information um you know trans telephonically through um uh, through wow. digital venues to uh, their doctor's office so when the battery starts to get low we we have alerts so usually if a patient is seeing their electrophysiologist seeing their cardiologist on a regular basis usually, usually once a year or so right um they sometimes every six months sometimes it depends on on how frequent they need care but usually at the very least once a year we are going to know well in advance mm. when their pacemaker or their defibrillator is going to run out of battery and, and we'll be able to effect, effectively replace it without them you know having having symptoms or passing out or not being protected by this technology and also, if all else fails, the, the device beeps, too. So, so it beeps. <laughs> so it gives you yeah. a warning. It'll beep. It'll warn you, yeah. What, you know, near and dear to my heart, and we, we don't have a lot of time left, believe it or not. That's how fast this show goes. So yeah. you did great. Um, near and dear to my heart is definitely AFib because I've had a lot of people in my life that have had situations with AFib, including my husband, where it came out of nowhere. And yeah. I'm sure you see those patients. I know I, he was a incredibly active guy who exercised yep. every single day and did all the right things and, you know, was at the gym and all of a sudden his workout didn't feel right. All yep. of a sudden he couldn't catch his breath. And, um, you know, with a little nudging, he went back to work, but a little nudging, I got him to go right to the physician, and he was in AFib. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's amazing to me that they it sometimes comes out of nowhere. Do you see that? Yeah, you know, we see, see it all the time. Um, see, I see patients, I saw patients in clinic earlier this week who came out of nowhere. You know, atrial fibrillation is just one of those rhythms. It's the most common arrhythmia that we see. Wow. And one, one of the risk factors is age. And so as, you know, the, the baby boomers and the population in general starts to get older, right. we see more and more and more of it. A lot of times um, it's because of what I discussed before, all those medical risk factors on top of alcohol and smoking yeah. can predispose someone to AFib. Sometimes it's because of genetics. Right. Sometimes it's bad luck. Yeah, um, for my husband it was bad luck because at the time he was only, yeah. he was only forty six. So yeah, yeah, it was definitely yeah. bad luck. But what he's seeing now, he did have a stroke, unfortunately, um, oh, a year later. But that. what he's seeing now, um, he does do some volunteer work with stroke patients, and it's amazing to me how many patients he's seeing down at um, the rehab hospital Gaylord that it came out of nowhere for these patients, and they're young. 50s yeah. early 60s you know and active people and you just wish there were more warning signs for this yeah yeah i it, it can come out of nowhere sometimes it can be the symptoms can be subtle right. um you know routine routine checkups with your with your primary care doctor to get an annual ekg mm -hmm. are always good for screening right sometimes you know, there's a lot of technology nowadays like the apple watch and um 
sometimes there's other ambulatory type uh, commercially available monitors that you can put your fingers on and we'll give you an EKG electrode and we'll tell you whether or not. So if you feel not quite right, um, there are lots of devices that can be bought over the counter just to check and then yeah. you should seek medical help if it says that something's abnormal. We usually don't use these types of devices to screen in general for AFib. Screening the entire population all the time with devices that are very sensitive will lead to a lot of false positives. Right. Um, But certainly if somebody's having symptoms or risk factors or there may be something that somebody caught on an EKG when they were in the hospital or after surgery or or something, um, then it would be something that's good to to look into to see if it correlates with the symptoms that the patient is having. Well, Doc, you did amazing. We're at the end. So I want to thank you so much for joining me tonight. This was amazing. I'm going to bring you back because there's so much to talk about. So again, please, thank you. So for everyone just listening audience, again, this is Dr. William Gianfrido with Trinity Health of New England. He's electrophysiologist in our Department of Cardiology, working with an incredible team led by Dr. Rich Soussier. We're really excited um, to have you and help us grow this regional program for cardiology. If you want to learn more about him, trinityhealthofne.org. Um, and the local phone, the phone number would be 860-714-4000 for the main cardiology number. Doc, thank you again so much. And thank you, Robin. You're welcome. Feel better soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining me. I will be back in two weeks with another episode of Medically Speaking. Have a great day.